that one more time. I want you not just to think about your own needs, but there are brethren, there are brothers and sisters that have needs. Some are physical, some are spiritual, some have great struggle, some have different things in their lives. I, I don't believe God is unmindful or not knowing. He knows them. And rather, He would desire wherever we are that we would come to Him. Let's just remember one another this morning as we sing this again. Bring this morning Heavenly Father we stand here we're thankful for the gathering this morning Lord we can see the outside and the inside of the tabernacle but what our eyes can't see Lord is the angels that have come here what our eyes can't see Lord is maybe the battles that we've gone through in the week and the things we've come to and the time we live in Lord, if we would look into that other dimension, maybe sometimes we would get scared. We would be fearful. We'd be trembling. It might wake us up to where we really are at. And it may shock us and scare us. But Lord, then we also, if we could see all that you're doing and all that you're around us and the angels of God, Lord, it was at Dothan, I think, one time that Elijah and his servant were walking and there was fear and about the situation. And you, through the prophet, had him declare to the servant, show him there are more that are with us than are against us. Father, we want to thank you for your care and your love for us. And we commit our lives into your hands this morning as we would open the word. Lord, you know that there's not one of us that would be able to truly be worthy. So we ask, Lord, that you'd forgive us our shortcomings and that you would be our portion this morning. And may your grace be shed abroad upon us. Lord, as we pick up the pages of this Bible, we're asking now the Spirit of Christ would overshadow us, would be in the speaker and in the hearer alike and that you would make yourself known and minister to your people. We ask your blessing now. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. A little longer with the preliminaries. Let's go directly to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6. And then we're also going to read from the book of Jude. I'd like to follow through from a thought of last Sunday on the subject of last day's spirits last day spirits and I would like to speak today on conflict at the altar conflict at the altar so we'll just start reading Ephesians chapter 6 
in verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now just, just think about all of these things. There's, it's not just what we see with our eyes. Sometimes we feel it around us. We can't even put our finger on it. He says, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of the world, and then it goes against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Let's go over to the book of Jude. The book of Jude, we're going to start reading in verse 3. How many are happy to be a Christian today? How many are happy that it's not a picnic? Ah, not quite as resounding. <laughs> oh. Jude verse 3, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you that you should, and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which that was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I could read much of this, but let's just save time. Go to verse 8. Likewise, also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Now, what Jude is beginning to describe is not just people, but spirits, and how spirits act in people. And sometimes they act that way in me, and sometimes they act that way in you. Sometimes we're affected by them, but we're identifying the spirit. And even though we might be pulled or swayed to a negative, I'm thankful there's a spirit of God that pulls us back. So we want to we identify the spirit of the enemy, but we also want to identify the Holy Spirit. So this isn't, this isn't to a point to one individual. This is spirits that dominate the world in this last day. Now it says, these filthy defile the flesh, they speak evil of dignities. Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, now here's a dispute on a very high level. Michael the archangel, and contending with the devil about the body of Moses. Now, Michael didn't use emotion. He didn't try to use reason. He didn't try to use anything. He used the Word of God, the same thing we need to use. And he says, he durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke thee. But these speak evil. Now he's talking about the filthy dreamers. These speak evil of those things which they know not. 
But what they know naturally as brute beasts, in those things they corrupt themselves. Woe unto them. Now he's, he's bringing this to a very high level. Of, of it's, it's not in the bar room. It's, 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 not, it's, it's not just in, in the world around us. But it, it actually comes as we, we come right together to worship. That's right where it's happening. That's, that's where the enemy's attacking. And again, we're not pointing at people. We're pointing at spirits. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. So he identifies Cain. And ran greedily after the heir of Balaam for reward. And perished in the gainsaying of Korah. Now, individuals are identified, but their spirits attached to how they operated. These are spots in your feasts of charity. When they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Clouds are they without water, carried about of winds. Trees whose fruit withereth without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots. Raging waves of the sea. Look at the language that Jude is using here. This is not just, you know, the devil's not just floating around, you know, trying to sting you. This is an agenda. This is, this is, this is all, and when Brother Adam would say, all hell is against this revelation. What is the revelation? Christ, the mystery of God revealed, Christ in you. When the disciples walked with Jesus, they didn't have the battles. But when Jesus was taken out of them and the Spirit of God came in them, all of a sudden, they became the target. And you have to expect if you're a Christian, you're going to become a target. And don't be, a, don't be, you know, don't say, wait, what did I do wrong? It's just going to happen. And sometimes, remember, the devil can do nothing unless God allows it. And you know what it actually does? It works for our benefit. It strengthens us. It helps us. It encourages. It builds us up. In the face of adversity, we can still have the Spirit of Christ. And he says, Raging waves of sea, foaming out their own shame, wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. So all of these negatives, but now it brings this in. Verse 14. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these. Okay? And he says, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all. Where's the judgment going to occur? With God and with his people. To execute judgment upon them all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all of their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. God bless his word. You may have your seats. Now... In all those words, I don't know if you expected that when you came to church this morning. I, I didn't either, but this was something that, that God was dealing with me maybe before and then maybe in this direction for this week. Let, let me just take a little bit of a picture and back up a little bit because I'm not a helicopter preacher. I'm, I have to get a little bit of a runway. So it was in heaven, if I can paint a picture and I need you to, to go with me, but it was in heaven that there was a central place. There was a throne. 
And on this throne was the most marvelous being that ever has been and ever will be. Had a light that no man could approach unto. Had a glory that, that caused thousands of angels to worship and say hallelujah and glory and, and continually doing that for eternity. Those angels are doing it because this one is worthy. And they're singing hallelujah and hallelujah and bowing their heads and doing all of these things because that's the being that was there. But it was at this place where there was this throne. And if you ever want to just catch little glimpses of it, I, I shared that chorus of, of those that choir in Kansas that were singing and they made a recording and it seemed like the angels kind of came in amongst them. And I, I get chills every time I listen to that. And then I think it was Polycarp who, when Polycarp was even dying, or when he was, when he was actually, it was actually, Brother Bannon would say, Polycarp was with John on the Isle of Patmos, and he says, Paul, Polycarp helped John, but he, and, and, and he says, but Polycarp was a godly man. And when he had to, <clears throat> he couldn't be thrown to the, uh, to the lions in the arena, but when he came, and he came, and, and so they decided to, to burn him, and, and because the lions were all gone, it was, it, was, it was too late for that. And Polycarp, you know, the soldier that came to him said, Will, you're a, you're a wise man. Why don't you denounce this whole thing? And Polycarp wouldn't do it. He says, at that moment, it seemed like there was a sound from heaven, and it was like a voice that came to him, and it was singing, and it so encouraged him. And he went to walk in the face of all of these things, and he stood in the face of it, and he gave his life. Frank Bartleman, one of the saints, the writers at, at Azusa Street and, and, and the outpouring of the Spirit, he came at that time and it was at the death of his daughter and here he was as a man who had given himself to God and his daughter had passed away and he says it was at her funeral and it said it seemed like they were singing a song and it seemed like all of a sudden a presence with angels just began to sing and join them. It's real. It's a real place. Thank God it's there. So it's good to use your imagination. Imagination is not always bad. It's good for you too, actually, if you use it for the right thing. So this throne was the central point. That was the place that it was in the midst of all this was a holiness, a sacredness, a purity. And it was a wonderful place. But right next to this throne, out of all these angels who also had a portion of light, there was one angel that was worshiping with all the other angels, brighter than all the other angels. And he was worshiping. And I don't know how it all happened, but maybe he cast a glance back. And as he looked back and he saw all these angels worshiping and he saw him himself worshiping, something began to form in his heart. At the very throne, at the very altar, if I can call it, at the very place where there was this glory and there was magnificence, that's where iniquity started, right at that place. And as he was right at that place, something began to rise up. He was brighter. He had more insight. He, he, had, he was given this by God. And as he was given all of this, he, he could see, and as it began to rise up, you know, he says, I can be like the Most High. And iniquity was found in him. It wasn't seen, 
but it was found in him. And he began an agenda where the spirit that was in him began to dominate him. And maybe it started in his conversation and he began to talk to other angels and he would say, isn't God good? And maybe he would drop in something, yeah, but do you really know everything about this yet? And he says he just wants to take it all on himself. And he says he doesn't want to share. And maybe that was the kind of conversation. But the spirit began to dominate him. And thus began the beginnings of the devil. Now, let's just go over to Revelation chapter 12 for a moment. So we know what happened there. There was a battle in heaven and Satan was cast down. Let's just read this from Revelation 12 verse 7. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon fought and his angels and they prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceived the whole world. He was cast into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So we'll stop there. So what was in heaven now fell to the earth. And as we switch the scene just to the earth for a moment, as we look down, here we see God's family on earth. We see his son and his wife, and, and they would have fellowship with God in the cool of the evening, and they were the gods of the earth, and, and, and yet unseen to them was these fallen spirits that were in the earth, unseen to them because spirits need something to work through. Spirits need a vessel to, to, to work through, and, and that's how the prophet would, would talk about it, and he would say, a devil is almost harmless until he can have something to work through. He needs something to work through. So as, as they were there, and as they began to, as, as they began to you know, go about their lives, and together in harmony, and it was Eden, it was God's perfect plan, it was God's crowning creation, but unseen to them was just like in the throne, in an unseen realm, there was these unseen spirits, and they began to look, how can we, because iniquity breeds sin, breeds, and keeps breeding, and breeding, and breeding, and as they began breeding, now they're the, the war that was in heaven, the devil became raging. He became looking for an opportunity, and he found a being in God's creation. And the being was a serpent, looked like a man, looked like, and in fact was bigger than a man, was brighter, and I can say not brighter, but I can say was bigger, maybe more, more of stature, more to look at. And, and in all respects was like a man, but was not a man, because he didn't have a soul. But as a prophet would say, he had a place for a soul. And in that place, that's where the enemy saw an opportunity. And he began to possess that vessel, and he began to approach not the original creation God, but he began to approach the, the part that came out of him, out of Adam, and that was Eve. And he began to work. Now, let me, let me read from the Church Age book for a moment. Why did this have to be so? Actually, this is, yeah, the Church Age. Why was it that the seed of the serpent had to come this way? Man was created for God. Man was to be the temple of God. The place of God's rest was the man, the temple. And Brother Branham goes in saying this, God, Satan has known this all along. 
He wants to indwell man even as God does. So what he hates or what he can't stand is when you are fully yielded to God. When he, and, and God will allow him sometimes to throw everything at you. But if you're yielded to God, there's no place for the enemy to come in. If you're there, you're then fortified. Now, I, I was talking to Brother Daryl Ward uh, this last week, and Brother Daryl, he preached a wonderful message on the power of prayer, and right after that, Satan attacked him. And if you, and I, I, I'm just going to say this right now, there is a, an attack on the church of God as never before. And, and, and the devil will start with ministers, and if he doesn't take ministers, he'll go at their children, he'll go at their wives, he'll go at their families, he'll do everything he can. And we're seeing it happen. It happened to Brother Ron Spencer, Brother Donnie Reagan, Brother Tim Pruitt, Brother David Siler, Brother, you know, Brother Daryl Ward, others. So we, we have to expect that the enemy is not going to just leave us alone. So we recognize these things. So when we do it now, Brother Daryl said, what happened is the virus was in their family. He was ministering at the church of David Siler. Some people had it. He caught it. And he has had a fever. And in fact, up to this, he's had a fever for up to 14 days. He can't break it. It's broken it. It always comes a little above and he can't leave the house. And we've just been praying for him. In fact, but he says, and he said his wife got it and his daughters got it. But the way that the, the virus worked, he said, whatever the weakness was in the body, that was where it manifest in the greatest way. He says, for instance, for him, it was in the lungs and the bronchial. His wife had a stomach issue, and it was the stomach was the weak spot. So, so it, it penetrates, and then it goes to the weakest spot, and that's where the enemy attacks us. So it's, and Brother Adam say, your life is like a chain. You're, you're, you're passing over hell, and it's only as strong as the weakest link. So whatever our weakest link is, and Brother Adam would say, Satan's got a punch coming at you. You've got a spot that you've got to keep covered all the time. I have weak spots. You have weak spots. We have to keep those covered all the time. We need to recognize the enemy is finding any little thing, not just in our natural bodies, but in our spirit makeup. If we have a tendency to be angry, he'll attack that. If it's a tendency for lust, he'll attack that. Whether it's, it's bitterness, whatever, he'll attack that. If we let him. Now, God is greater than all of these things. When we studied earlier this year in a message, and knoweth it not, and Brother Branham would speak, and he's saying, we're passing, there's great fearful waves. He says, but we're nearing the shore. And he would make this statement, stay stable. In other words, don't, you know, you, you've got to stay stable. You're not going to stay stable in your flesh. Your flesh is just as weak as anything. Your, your soul, if it's been born of God, the battleground is the man in the middle. The spirit realm, the mind realm. That's the place. You know, and, and we've talked about it. If you're slightly intellectual, you'll start to reason more. If you're slightly emotional, you'll drift to the emotional side more. So we need to recognize, we need to know our own body. We need to see where, we're, where we've got a blind spot or a weak spot. And we've got to keep that covered. Whatever it is. And, and listen, 
Uh, preachers are not immune to them. I've got them. Every one of us has got them. But we need to help one another. We need to pray for one another. We need to protect one another. And I'll say this. I've seen it amongst the ministers. There is more uniting and leaning together and helping one another because the music is more important than the struggle. And I believe that God spoke that to us. And he spoke it for a reason. We've got to keep our focus on one thing. Brother Adam would say the most powerful force on the earth today is love. Now love, you will see maybe the failings of your brother, but love overrides that. And we need the love of God. Friends, there is a seeds that have been sown in the earth today. I'm jumping ahead of myself now. There have been seeds that have been sown in the earth today. Let me just take the natural world. There have been seeds sown as far as laws. My political correspondent keeps me updated on those. There have been seeds that have been sown as far as the people and their thinking and what they've been taught as far as morality, what they've been taught in regards to fashion. I'll tell you what, we are oddballs. My wife and I were out hiking and she's there with her skirt on and and. And, and she was ahead of me, and I'm watching, you know, like, she's a little younger than me. She's a little quicker than me sometimes, but I'm, 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 I'm keeping up. So, at any rate, she's walking ahead of me, but I watched a couple that were coming back, and they didn't know I was with them, but they're passing, and, and, they, and they're kind of going, and they're looking back, and they're, and they're kind of smirking to each other, and I'm going, that's my wife. <laughs> I'm proud of her. I'm happy for her, because she represents true womanhood. <laughs> they don't always know those things, but it, it, you know what? The world has been taught. They've been, and, and you know, even as we see the leaders and, 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 and that are coming into power and they're doing things and, 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 and that are all out there, they, the, the thinking now is, you know, I, 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 marijuana's legal. <laughs> Never, it was, it was a, how dare you? You, know, you? you can still get killed, put a death sentence put on you in China for that. You know, but, but it's legal here now. And, 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 and what was called adultery and should never have been... Sp- it's commonly known. Why, why get married? Just do, This has been taught. Friends, this is the world we live in. So these seeds have been planted. And as these seeds have been planted, now there's pressure. Now there's fear. And as there's fear, and, 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 and as fear comes and rises, fear looks for an enemy. Fear looks for somebody to, to let loose on. So people are on an edge and they're seeing, you know, where's the, you know, what's the trouble behind all of this? Somebody in China let this virus loose. They're, they're all ready to go to war against them. And, and then if it isn't that, and it's, if you're not wearing the, the, the correct, you're not maintaining the distance or the correct mask or doing whatever you're doing, right away, you're jumped on. Friends, fear is setting the stage for the judgment of God to come against the judgment of God to come in this generation, but it's also setting the stage for a greater persecution against us. Now, that's not the realm we're operating in because love casts out all fear. I'm not going to try... Listen, the greatest battle ever fought is a battle in the mind. And I say, in the middle of all of this, you can still have the love of God. And I say, 
That's our challenge, is to stay focused on, on that part of it. And Brother Branham would make statements, he's saying, and, and, and even the message, Christ the Mystery, he said, if in a church a little click sides up and one's this way and that's, don't take sides with it. Pray for one another. Help one another. That's still good counsel. Friends, the devil's job is to major on our differences. God give us differences because we're all a part of his great bouquet. And we need to recognize what is the same. We carry the same spirit. Let's, let's just finish here in our thoughts. So Satan wants to indwell man even as God does. Satan cannot do it. God alone appeared in human flesh. Satan could not and cannot do it. He does not have creative powers. The only way for Satan to accomplish that indwelling was to enter the serpent in Eden, just like he entered the serpent by evil spirits in the swine at Gadaria. God does not enter animals, but Satan can and he will accomplish to his ends. He could not have a child directly by Eve as God did by Mary, so he entered into a serpent and beguiled Eve. He seduced her. And, through, and Satan did have a child vicariously. Now watch this. Cain bore the full spiritual characteristics of Satan. I'm going to stop there, and I'm going to ask you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. Are you with me? I'm trying to move quickly and, and, and go through the thought today. Friends, if you don't know it, we're in a battle. And I don't know what will come. But whatever does, we want to be prepared. We want to be, as Brother Branham would say, stay stable. And he says, let the word stabilize your thoughts, your actions, your mind. If you're prone to, to carnalize things, just say, Lord, give me the spirit of Christ. Because I can do all things through Christ. If you're prone to go emotional, just say, Lord, help me to look at this through your word. Whatever we are. Genesis 3. So here is God's family on earth. The, the, Satan has entered the serpent. Eve has fallen. She's given to Adam. Adam quickly took to her. And now they're cast out of the Garden of Eden. So in verse 22. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become as one of us to know good and evil. Now lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, he said, the Lord God sent him forth from the Garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken, and he drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword, which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. So now for a season, God was going to block off this access for man to come and worship like he did before. But from the moment that man was banished, God was already pointing a way back. He gave Adam and Eve, who were now knowing they were naked, he gave them skins, which were the skins of animals where the blood was shed. And through the blood they had a covering, not the eternal covering, but a covering. And while he placed this cherubims there, this also began to be the place where at the east 
where man began to worship God again with sacrifice. So let's go to chapter 4, verse 1. And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. Now all life comes from God through that process, okay? It still happens today. And she again bare his brother Abel. Now, it says, I've gotten a man from the Lord. If you actually take that, that very phrase and type it with the rest of the Bible, Cain is not included in the lineage. He breaks every type. He's not the seventh from Adam. He's not included in the lineage. And it said he was of the evil one. The Bible said that. This is not a doctrine that is made up by a man. This is the Bible. It was hidden to us. And so she again bare his brother Abel. Now, these two boys, let's look at their characteristics. Abel was a keeper of the sheep. Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it began to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto Abel, or sorry, unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. So the very first altar in the Bible. And an altar, if we could just put it in context, I I won't have time to go into a detail on today, but it's a place where the worshiper meets God. It's a place where you lay down everything. It's not just belonging to a church, but the altar is really your heart. The altar is a place, not just right here, but it's a place where you pour out your intimate being, where you confess to God what I thought and what I said, and and, and you begin to bring it before God. That's where the peace of God comes back on you. That's where the blood was shed. That's the place that we all have to have. We all need need a prayer altar. We all need a place with God. That place must be there. But it's at this altar that there's great conflict sometimes. And the conflict is because we, we were, even though you might be born again, you still have an old nature. And sometimes you have to fight it out. You have to die to self ministers have to die to self, to their opinions, to their thought that I can do this, but it has to be that God can do this. That's a place we all need. But this first altar, this conflict now was represented in two different seeds, in two different individuals. Now, we, we've all come, and we've, if you want to take it to the same level, we've got an element of serpent seed in us. That's, that's through the mixing over the Bible. So you can't just point to someone and say, serpent seed, serpent seed. So if you would look at this, if you were standing back and watching this scene, and you watched Abel coming up, and he's offering his altar, there was something about his approach, because it also reflected what Lucifer did up there. And it was done very nicely. It was done in a way, the presentation, if you gave marks for presentation, 10 out of 10. 
You know, it was maybe decorated just beautifully. The flowers were there. The fruits were there. You know, it, it, it was just, Tain was, a, he was, he probably picked all these things and he brought it up and he placed it on the altar. He wanted to worship. Now, every, spirits desire worship. They want to worship. Lucifer was a worship, but he wants it for himself. And if he can pervert worship and twist it back on himself, he rejoices in that because that's his desire. But that desire for worship is in every human being. That desire is there amongst unborn and unregenerated the men and, and women out in the Bible. They'll worship something. They'll, they'll do it. And Brother Ram even talked about mothers. If they, if they don't want children, they'll have something that substitutes that. If you can't have a church, you'll have something else. If you can't have a God you'll worship, you'll worship a man or some other substitute. So that spirit exists in the earth today. So it's no strange thing that Satan would want to come and be a part of where, because in heaven he desired the mount, the, the congregate, where the congregation was on the north. That's the place he desired, where sons of God came. I, I, I don't want to make this like some story. I need to bring it home. Okay, and I need you to put yourself in the equation. Don't just view it as, Satan over there and, and, and the bride over here and I'm part of the bride. No, we all need to examine ourselves. Don't just say the bride as a whole. You've got to pick up the book. You've got to say, I'm the one who's a worshiper. I'm the one who's coming to the altar. Though nobody else does, I must get to the altar. I must get there in order to be what God wants me to be. So... Cain makes this offering, and it's no doubt beautiful, and he puts it there. And then his brother Abel comes, and he's dragging a lamb, and the lamb is bleeding. And it doesn't, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's going along because it's sacrificial. And as he comes up, he's got a sharp, blunt knife, and he comes to the altar, and he slits that lamb's throat, and he pours the blood upon the altar, and he puts it before God. And God is pleased with what Abel did. And Cain is watching us. <laughs> That's disgusting. And you know, in ourselves, there's an element of that carnality. We don't want to humble ourselves. We don't want to drag ourselves to the altar. We don't want to snot and boo-hoo. And we don't want to die out to self. That's human nature. But I'll tell you what, there's another thing that's greater. I don't want to be identified with that old man. I want more of Jesus. And I get more of Jesus, I'll die out whatever I need to do. So as, as this scene unfolds, not only that, Cain gets very upset. The Bible says he was wroth and his countenance fell. Verse 6, and the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? Why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? If thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. Now, unto thee, so unto, unto 
the allowance of, of this. Now, what we don't see in the whole picture is also something hidden. Because there was a hidden part that was not portrayed in heaven. And there was a hidden part that was not here because there was no instruction manual on how to approach God. It was a direct revelation between God and man. It was Abel looking and saying, my mother and father. And he could actually say, my mother and father, Adam and Eve. Because that was his mother and father. Cain could not say that. So Abel, he would catch that, and he would speak, and he would say that, and he's saying, they came out clothed with, with these bloody clothes. What was it in the garden? Why is my, my, my let's call him a brother or half-brother, whatever you want to call him, why is he different? Why is his nature? He's born different. He's got a different father. I've got my father, but that man's got another father. Same mother, same bedding ground, but two different fathers. And it was a revelation. And it happened right at the altar. Friends, I, I don't want you looking at one another. This is not the whole thing. This is about examining ourselves. And it's about examining and saying, am I in the faith? Because you've got to be like the disciples. They weren't trying to pick out Judas amongst them. In fact, when God asked, when God told them, one of you will deceive me, they all looked at themselves. They didn't all with one accord look at Judas. That wasn't a part of it. And I'll say, that's not a part of what we're doing here. That's not part of the program. We need to examine ourselves. Every one of us needs to examine ourselves. I need to examine myself, okay? So we're talking in this measure. So by revelation, Cain, he knew it was through the blood. And as Cain went there, I, I, could, I could read so many parts of this. Brother Branham would say, and this is in Show Us the Father, God doesn't have any shortcuts. We all must come the same way. There are no shortcuts to glory. But what we need to recognize is these two spirits are still alive today. They'll creep into our midst where say, well, all I have to do is be at church, dress nice, and show up and pay my tithes. No, it's much deeper than that. There's a hidden part to that. There's a hidden part where you need to, sometimes your, your heart is saying, I'm not worthy. I don't deserve this. I need the blood. I need God to come on the scene. And you come and you pour yourself out of the altar. People don't even know the groaning you're going through. But saying, oh, Lord, try me, chasten me, burn out everything within me. Let me have Jesus. I don't want this old nature. And we battle with it. And where is the greatest battle? When you come down on your knees. Actually, the battle is to get to your knees. But once you get to your knees, the greatest battle is just to be honest. Friends, this is not a group affair. This is God with the individual at the altar. Are you with me this morning? Verse 8. And Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. Now, Look at the spirit 
God actually made space. He actually gave away for Cain, who was never part of the program. He said, if you repent, if you follow your brother, you can get in. But look at how the Spirit manifested. What was iniquity was actually translated into murder at the end. Now that's a dangerous place to be. Now we can say, well, that was Cain. You know, that was... What I'm saying is, friends, what grieves me is there are brothers, there are minister brothers I've walked with that are coming against this message. And I, I can't even fathom that would ever happen. And I ask myself, where, where did it change? There, there's people that we know, we, our family knows, they're not ministers even, but they used to walk in the message and now they're posting against it. Friends, this is a spirit that's out there. I, I, don't wanna, I don't give up on anybody. And I say, as much as the seeds were planted somewhere and then there came a spirit on them that activated that into that level, so also can it be with us. Because God is dealing with us in this message for many years. He's planted the seeds of correct doctrine, correct this, correct that. But that alone will not be enough. We need to have, what is it? What's the capstone that comes down? Love. And when love comes over, then love begins to speak. Now, I need you to go with me. Just a big leap for a moment, and I'll come back to this. But go over to Revelations chapter 6. Brother Mark, I'm sorry, I didn't have this in the, in, the, in the direction of the notes, but I'm just trying to follow the Lord and watch the time. This is Revelations chapter 6. Now, we go to this, it was very interesting, and I've had this on my heart for years, and I, I've kept being drawn to the message on the fifth seal. And the, if you know the first four seals, there was, uh, there was a... There was a voice that went out. There was a beast that went rising out. And a beast represents a power. So for the first seal, you know, it said there was, there was a voice, there was a noise of thunder, and a beast would come out. The second, the second seal was the same thing. There was a noise of thunder, and a beast went out. The third, the fourth, a noise and a beast. But now here's the fifth. No noise, no beast. And now... Remember, the lamb broke the seals. It was not Brother Branham. But the lamb broke the seals. It was a man yielded to God. And he, and he begins to declare and he says, why was it there was no beast? Why was it there no power? He says, because this did not pertain to the church. The beast was an act. Uh, the, the beast was a power. The Holy Spirit also rode out. And when the Holy Spirit, it was guarding the church. So when the enemy moved out as a Nicolaitan spirit, so did God move out with the same spirit. When the enemy moved out in a persecution in the dark ages, so did God move out with an ox anointing. And as he moved out into, into the time when, when through the shrewdness of man, they began to charge for an oil and, or for penny and, 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 and all these things, so God raised up a Luther. These men could not help doing but what God empowered them to do. Neither can we help doing what we're doing today. I can't act with an ox anointing like they did in that time. 
Now, there's a part of it that pertains to ministry. That's different. But I have to go by the anointing God sends, which is the eagle anointing. So Brother Branham identifies this fifth seal was not under an anointing. And he says it wasn't the same time or the same place or the same dispensation or same people as it was in the first four seals. So let's read verse 9. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar. Now this is an altar. Okay? Under the altar were the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord? Holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? So there was a cry coming out, we've been done wrong. You're a righteous God. Are you not going to judge those that have done this to us? This is a cry. And now God speaks back to them and says this, and white robes were given to every one of them. And he said, and they that they should rest yet for a little season, and until their fellow servants also and their brethren should be killed as they were and should be fulfilled. So Brother Branham makes a statement as he begins to pick this up in the fifth seal. And I'll just read a portion of this for a moment. But he begins to pick it up and says, now notice they were under an altar but under the altar they were under, they were crying for vengeance. Now you can't come to an altar of Christ, get in the presence of God, and condemn your brother. You cannot do it under the covenant of Christ. But these ones were not under that kind of an altar. They were under a different altar. They were not holding the testimony of Christ. They were holding a testimony of the Word of God. That's what the Bible says. I, 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 I've, I, I can't read and say the whole message of the fifth seal. You feel free to go through it. Brother Branham would say this as he goes. There was no beast. There was no living power. He said, when we get... If you look at the ark, how the ark was, this is in the fifth seal. When you come into the ark, there was four sides guarding it. When you come into the New Testament, there was the life of God as expressed first through Jesus and then through a many-membered body in the book of Acts. And that was guarded by four, uh, uh, four apostles, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They guarded the life. But these ones didn't get guarded that way. Now he would, he would go on and say, now, they wanted fellowship. He says, your fellowship is with Christ. Now, I, I need to skip some of this. Okay. The martyrs through the ages, how they suffered terribly and all of this. I'm going to skip all of these parts and I just need to go to this part. Now, these souls under the altar... They were under the altar. They were martyred by sinful men like Eichmann. Now, we have Brother Reinhold here, and he's a man who lived to see all of these things. And he, he could identify with it. I, I've looked at some of, I have looked at some of the documentary accounts. 
I've looked at the Nuremberg trials and I've looked at it. The atrocities that were done through these men is unthinkable. In fact, there's parts of it that almost made me throw up. It's unthinkable. But I'm going to say this. What was that spirit? And where did it come? It came against God's chosen people, which were the Jews. It came against them. Now, Brother Branham would say, they were holding right on, these Jews, he said, millions of them. Now remember, what was it? They were killed for the word of God's sake, not for the testimony of Christ. Now they haven't come, so when they come to their altar, they have not received the cleansing fountain of the blood of Jesus yet. But when we come to our altar, our altar, friends, it's not just vengeance, but we come and we're filled with the love of God. Well, we stand against sin, that's true. But I'll tell you this, there's always got to be a heart that's reaching out for somebody. When Brother Brandon would talk about the, the, the speaking in tongues, the testimony of Danny Henry, and how Danny Henry would, would in French and would interpret what, what was testified over Brother because you have made this choice. Now, friends, we, we've been feeding on the message, feeding on the message, but it sometimes hasn't been translated into the love that we need yet. And he says, so the testimony of brother, because you have made this choice, a huge portion of heaven awaits you. So it was a personal choice. It's what he decided to give himself to. I just got, a, I got an email from a sister this week. I won't mention her name, but she's just talking about how she's praying for a loved one. And she's desiring this loved one to come in. She's saying, Lord, I sacrifice myself. I give myself. I die daily. That, that this loved one would come in. That's the love of God. That's what we need, friends. That's what we need more of in our lives. I need more. We need more. And the testimony of Brother Branham when they came, and the next part of that says, this was a foreshadow. This in itself is the, is the tremendous victory that will come to pass in the love divine. We are under a different altar. Your carnal nature will point out this is wrong, that's wrong, and that's wrong. But if you actually come to the altar, you can't do that anymore. And I'll say this. I need more of it. We all need more of it. <laughs> Has God forgotten Israel? No. They asked the prophet in the Bible, when he, when he asked the Lord, are you going to forsake your people? He said, what's that lying beside you? A measuring stick. And he said, how high is it? Is it to heaven? Does it go to the, can you measure it to the deep? He says, I can't. He says, neither can I ever, ever forget Israel. God has not forgotten them. In fact, he gave them a place. And he says, you know what you're going to do? Hang on. Vengeance is mine. It's coming. But for now, I'm going to give you these white robes. 
You take these. You know why I'm giving you these? Because I blinded you so that the Gentile bride could come in. He did that for you and for me. He, just think about it, he blinded his own children that you and I could come in. Oh, the love of God. So he allows them to go through suffering for a little season. They're under this altar, but it's not the same altar we're under. Now watch, he says, in their blindness, they martyred the Messiah. They were reaping for it. They recognized it after he was gone. He says, they were before the altar of God. Now the grace of God comes to them. I, I, I could read more of this, but I think I made my point to where I want to get to. Brother Branham talks. He talks about when he went beyond the curtain of time. And he says there was also people under an altar. And they were also waiting. And when he went up there, he said it was so perfect. It was so sublime. Oh. He said, I was scared of this. And he says, there was millions of them. And they came running to him and said, my precious brother, if you wouldn't have come, we wouldn't be here. That ought to give you a foreshadow of where we ought to be moving to while we're yet here. And he said he went up there and he looks and he says, he says, and they said, and he says, are these, and they said, a voice said, these are your, these are your converts. He said, this, my converts. He said, he said, I thought that was his, are we all Branhams? He said, no, these are your converts. He said, there was millions of them. And he says, oh my, and he talks about, will Paul, and he talks about how there was a gathering. Paul would have to gather, he would have to gather with his people. They would have to wait and they would be judged under their messenger. And when they heard that, they screamed, we are resting on that. We are resting on that. Why? Because we're not viewing the message through carnal eyes, through intellectual eyes, through emotional eyes, but something that is fabricated and is translating into a life. And it's a life that's being lived out. I can't help it. I was born in a home. My mother was a believer. My father wasn't. It was just turmoil in the home. And I always knew. Don't ask me why. When those tapes were playing, I couldn't say a word against it. The carnal side of me said, I'll go to church with dad when I grow up because they have fun there. But the inside part said, there's something so real about this. And I come to find out it's, that fun was nothing, but this is real. Now, I pushed it off, pushed it off. I did my things. But at a time and a season, I could not get away from it. Let me bring this in for a moment. But it was Brother Jonah Emke. His family were praying for his brother Solomon. Saul. And Saul, for years and years, they prayed, in fact... Brother Jonah's daughter would say, one time when they came together with Saul, she, Christiana said, Uncle Saul, he says, I've been praying for you for many years. 
fact, I've been praying for you my whole life. <laughs> and to always say that. One night, he was sitting in a bar with a bunch of people. And then one of the guys, they're all drinking, one of the guys says, this religion stuff is a bunch of nonsense. It's just a crutch. There's nothing to that. Just running up and down and, and you know, just talking. Then the next one said this. And then they looked at Saul. And Saul said, what do you think, Saul? I can't say that. He says, in fact, I don't think I can stay here anymore. And he ran out of that bar and he went to his apartment and cried for three days. It's got to be that real. You've got to come to your own altar. It's not a group altar. It's got to be a place between you and God. And I'll say this, it, it, it's something that's not seen. It, there, you know, we, we can judge people on the outside. Oh, they did this, they did this. But you don't know the struggle a person's gone through. You don't know what they've laid at the feet of Jesus. And your struggle might not be somebody else's struggle. And therefore, we, we, can't, dis, we can't discern motives. We've got to discern, we've got to discern what, what's coming out of them. And we've got to look at intent, and we've got to look at all of these things. Listen, I'm kind of off where I want to go here. But I, I just want you to notice. Now, Brother Branham would talk about these. He says, now notice... He says, these martyrs up there, he's talking about the vision beyond the curtain of time. They were not under an altar of sacrifice. No. Mine, and he talks about those that he saw in the curtain of time. Mine were not under a martyr's altar. Notice what he says here. He says, those received white robes by the pardoning grace of God. They're not sleeping. They're alive. Their bodies are sleeping. But their souls not in the grave. They are in the presence of God under the altar. He says, now... Uh, he would go say, the, the, their prayers, the prayers of the saints, they go through the sacrifice of the blood, and that blood sacrifice allows the prayers to go through. I don't want to stop up the prayers of God, but I want the blood to speak for me. Amen. Friends, we, we need to get everything right. Because the enemy is going about as a roaring lion. All the struggles we come against, it's an opportunity for the Spirit of God to go to work. Drives us to our knees in prayers. And as it drives us to our knees in prayers, and then something, you know, you begin to say, oh, so-and-so did something. This, and then you begin to think, but Lord, you are gracious to me. And Lord, they didn't mean that. He didn't mean that. And, and you begin to pray. And Lord... I just got to share something. Thursday night, we came home. My, my son was doing some work for our neighbors on their deck. There's a family of five that lives next door. Husband, wife, three small children, ages three to eight years old. And my son happens to see the man We'd noticed a lot of vehicles in the yard. And the man comes over. He says, I need to pay you for the work you've been doing on the deck. I said, but I've had a rough week. My wife got killed in a car accident. And they're left with three small children. 
I, we knew this family. They're nice people. Never did anything untoward. When I heard it, my wife and I were in shock. And I almost cried out. I said, Lord, you can change this. Why them, Lord? I, I'll tell you what, it was instantaneous. And I'll say that was not Ed Hammermeister. That's the Spirit of God. Now, I'm not trying to exalt myself here. But I'm saying, this love knows no boundaries. This love doesn't just deal favorably with people that you associate with, people in the church. This deals on a level like Christ did. And I, I thought about what just happened to that family. This man was bewildered. He was in shock. And he said to my son, he said, I'm not a religious man, but I'd like to come over and talk to your mom and dad. I'll tell you what, in that moment, all the pettiness of life disappeared. This is a soul and in the balance. They may not see the message, but I can, by my words and my attitude and the way I live, could just say, there's a better way. There's a life beyond this. There's a hope beyond what you see. I just say, put yourself in that, wherever you're at now, and say, what if that was my husband or somebody I knew? Where would I be today? And, it, and would I conduct my life the same way, knowing that could be tomorrow? I don't think I could say that. I say, Lord, and, and, and my wife just shared, he says, you know, how we have to watch our words, how we have to watch our actions, how we have to watch the things we do. Why? Because there's a life. That's what, what, that's what it's all about at the end, is life. And we need to see Christ. It's, Satan doesn't care how religious we are, how much knowledge, but it's the life of God. My, let me, let me take this now for a moment, just for a few more moments. Matthew chapter 23. I'll skip some of the places, Brother Mark. So, from the altar where there was a Cain and an Abel, we fast forward. There was altars in the Old Testament, I, I may just go this way down, but they were there. There was protocol. It was sacred. It was holy. One, man, one time a man tried to touch the altar and his hand got withered up. It's not a flippant thing. Okay? So we, we say your place is at the altar, but the altar is really our place with God. So in the New Testament... You know, in Hebrews 13, it says, we have an altar that the priests in the Old Testament have no right to partake of. Why? Because they haven't come to Christ yet. But we have an altar where it's not just forgiveness, it's not just vengeance, but it's actually a return of the life of God comes back on us. And it's to manifest in this last age as perfect love. So in Matthew 23... Jesus now comes, and he comes on the scene, and he meets the same spirits that were back then because spirits don't die. 
So let's just pick this up in verse 17, and he's speaking to the Pharisees, a religious people. He says, you fools and blind, for what is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold? Now, I, I can say the same thing. What's greater, my church membership or position or the God that meets me continually, that keeps me, that makes my motives pure, that makes everything right? What's greater? It's that is the greater. And he says in verse 18, And whosoever shall swear by the altar, it is nothing. But whosoever sweareth by the gift that is upon it, he is guilty. You fools and blind, for what's greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift? No matter how much knowledge, how much experience, how much I can point to things, if I don't have the cleansing fountain, the altar as part of my life, I am nothing before God. We need that daily. Now let's just go a little further. Drop down to verse 30. Now Jesus, he's addressing the Spirit, because it's the same Spirit that was back at the first altar. Now remember, Jesus Himself is coming to an altar. He is going to be the ultimate sacrifice. He's going to lay His life on the altar. And He says here, And you say, if we had been in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with the, them in the blood of the prophets. Wherefore, you are witnesses to yourselves that you are the children of them that killed the prophets. Now, he, he's going really bluntly. He's not just saying, you know, just go to church and pay your tithes. No. He's identifying the Spirit. And what is it? These spirits are coming to a head again at this time when Jesus is becoming the sacrifice. I'm going I'm to just go a little further. I'm going to share one more quote, and I'm going to close, okay? So just stay with me. I, I, I am leaving a bunch of things. Just we'll do it this way. And he would say, fill ye up then the measure of your fathers. You serpents, you generation of vipers, how can you escape the damnation of hell? Wherefore, behold, I sent unto you, I send unto you prophets, wise men, scribes. Some of them you shall kill and cru crucify. Some of them you shall scourge in your synagogue to persecute them from city to city. Now look at where he's putting it. He's coming to a head and he's saying, everything that was back there is now being manifest in you. And it says, now upon you is coming the, that, that, may, that upon you, verse 35, may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth from the blood of righteous Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, the son of Barachias, whom you slew between the temple and the altar. Verily I say unto you, all these things shall come upon this generation. And then he utters these words as he's looking over Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets, how and stones them that would have sent you, how oft I would have gathered you. Now look, as much as he's a judge, he's still got a heart. And as much as we can judge and see things, we need to adopt the same spirit of Christ. We need to be able to say, no, that's sin. I can't partake of that. But we also need to say, but Lord, by the same life that was in you, if it lives in me, by my life, I can overcome this. 
I can even save some from this. All things are possible. Let's go over to the book of James. James, I didn't give you this, Brother Mark. James chapter 5. James, just in verses 1 to 6, he talks about how the rich man, your miseries, your riches are corrupted, your gold and silver is cankered, you've, you've kept the hire of the laborers, you've done unjustly, and, and he says in verse 4, James chapter 5, verse 4, Behold, the hire of the laborers which you have reaped down your fields is kept back by fraud. It cries, the cries of them have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of the Sabbath. You've lived in pleasure on the earth. You've been wanton. You've nursed your hearts as in a slaughter. You have, been, you have condemned and killed the just, and he doth not resist you. And now he gives this admonition. Because we are those that were identified in Jude. The Lord cometh with tens of thousands to execute judgment, but judgment is also with mercy with the bride still. And he says, Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth. He hath long patience for it until he receive the early and the latter rain. So the husbandman, that's the Lord. That's him. I'll tell you what, uh, I've had to learn patience. I think I've been, maybe I've had a little attribute, of, but I've had to learn patience, and I still have to learn it. So he says in verse 8, Be ye also patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Grudge not, one against another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Take, my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure. You have heard of the patience of Job, and you have seen the end of the Lord that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. There's a whole part of this that I never got to, but this will be my final quote for today. He talks about, because we've really talked about the masculine part, but there's a feminine part of Christ. And he talks about the true church of Jesus Christ, the bride, is likened to pure gold. Her righteousness is His righteousness. Her attributes are His own glorious attributes. Now, I, I, I'm going to call the musicians, but I don't want them to call because I, want, I don't want them to come because I want you to listen. Let's not make this a group thing. Let's just stop right now and say, have I come to the altar? Have I died out like I truly could? I'm, I can say I'm a part of the bride, but really the identification is when he identifies with me. So think about when you talk about the bride, don't make it a group thing. Yeah, that's us, we're okay. No, very personal. Self. Her righteousness is his righteousness. Her attributes are his own glorious attributes. Her identity is found in him. What he is, she is to reflect. 
what he as she is to manifest. There is no fault in her. Now, Psalms 44, I didn't get to this part, but David would write, we are like sheep before the slaughter. We are killed all the day long. Paul comes and he picks that verse out of Psalms 44, goes to Romans chapter 8 in the middle of a Roman prison, and he says, what shall separate us from the love of God? We are like sheep killed all the day long. The bride doesn't rail back. The bride doesn't fight back. But in her is that attribute of Christ. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Father, be merciful. Lord, you are God. The same spirit is on the earth today. And it lives in his people. Sometimes you think you've given everything. And then you give a little bit more. He would say, not only is the candlestick of gold, but it's of beaten gold. Outside of her Lord and Master, Jesus Christ, was there ever a people so beaten and purged as the bride of Jesus Christ? Surely she is filling up the sufferings that Christ has left her. Her goods are despoiled. Her life is in jeopardy. She is accounted as sheep for the slaughter. She is killed all the day long. She suffers much, but in it all retaliates not. I was a young boy in a broken home, family, and the devil had his way with me, and rebellion set in, and I, I'm ashamed of how I reacted to my mother. And that woman never gave up on me. Saw me going wayward from worse to worse to worse. And she kept praying. And she kept doing it. And I marvel. I marvel at it. But you know what? I said it once to my brother and sister. I said, that wasn't your mom. That was the Spirit of Christ in her. And he says, she is killed all the day long. She suffers much, but in it all retaliates not. She, neither does she cause others to suffer. Worthy of this gospel is the lovely bride of Christ. As gold is malleable, where brass will break with the beating, the gold of God will bear her suffering for the Lord not bowed, not broken, not destroyed, but formed as a thing of beauty and a joy forever by the trials and testing of this life. It, you can't understand this if you're not born again. Why would I want to live that kind of... No, it's a pleasure to live for God. It's a pleasure to bear His Spirit, His name. When the early disciples, now the musicians can come. When the early disciples, when the early disciples were beaten in prison, they left and their reaction was, oh God, I didn't expect this. No, they left and said, thank God we're worthy to suffer for his name. Thank God that the spirit of God dwells in us. Now you can't say that naturally, but you can only say it by the spirit of God. Listen, this is not a martyr service, so... I, this is just a service to encourage you. Press the battle. 
Don't let the circumstances of life. Don't let the situations. You've been praying for something. Keep praying. Don't stop. Whatever you need to do, press the battle. Is that all right? Okay, I, layered, I did what was on my heart. Let's stand together. I'll stop there. You know what? Sometimes we fight our own battles. I'll show them. I'll do this. No. The greatest battle ever fought was in the Garden of Gethsemane. The greatest battle we fight is on our knees where we get our attitude adjusted and corrected and you know, instead of sending out emails with all uppercase, we, if you ever get like that, go back and pray again. <laughs> oh, God, make me more like you. Let's sing the battle is the Lord's. He fights our battle for us. Start verse, yeah, start verse one. There is a source in time of need that gives me hope, that brings me peace in every trial, through every test. My Take courage for 
There's a cross behind here. And it's two sticks that come together. And that represents where two ways come together. Our ways and God's ways. And sometimes we try to take our own way. You know, especially if you're a man. I can fix this. I got this. But you know, the greatest thing is to say, I can't do anything without you, Lord. Amen. I, I, I really don't even know what I need to know. But Lord, I need you. I need the Spirit of God, the love of God. You know, Brother Branham would make such profound statements in simple actions. He would speak the seals and he'd continually go back. I've met great men. And he says, great men that would make you feel like you're nothing. He says, they think they're great. He says, you'd think that the world wouldn't even turn without them. But he says, the real great man is the one who makes you feel great. And that can only come with Christ. But he would say, you know, things like, say nice things about one another. Care for one another. Sometimes all you need is to show a little care. Sometimes just to say, brother, sister, I've been thinking about you. And just phone them up or call them and say, how are you doing? You know, you might not have the answers, but just to know somebody's on your side. I'll tell you what, it makes the world of difference. Sometimes you're going through it. I, I you know, maybe I, I can be, I can have my ups and downs. Sometimes my downs mean I, I, I just have to get and go for a walk or get in prayer or just be alone. That, that's how I have to deal with it. That's me. Everyone deals with it differently. Other people, I, I got a son who likes to be with people and it gives him energy. And, that, and he's built differently. And, I, and you have to respect how God built everybody. And you have to recognize but we all need God. And you know what? We need one another. And I would say, let's follow what the prophet said. Let's pray for one another. Let's, let's encourage one another. Let's stand for one another. In one rejoices, we all rejoice. One suffers, we all suffer. But I, I believe God's looking to pour out more of Himself. He said the most powerful force on the earth today is the love of God. Amen. And where does it come when you just follow God's word and do what's pleasing to Him? Okay, how are we all doing? We all okay? Amen. <laughs> okay, I got it off my heart. Good. Are we all good this, this morning? Oh my. Well, I, I, we need to sing something a little different. Brother Marion, do you have a song? I've got one, but if you got one, do you have one in mind sometimes? Over in the glory land. I, okay, I like that. That'll change it. Okay, so you can still, in the middle of, of a trial or whatever, you can still shout. Think about where we're going. I've a home prepared where the saints abide. Oh
praise and 